Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. You are very welcome to the Ireland's Birth Stories podcast. My name is Cora Gernon. I created this space for women to share all of the details surrounding their pregnancy, labour, birth and everything in between without feeling shy about the detail. Sit back and enjoy over 100 hours of birth stories told by you, the listeners. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with plush care. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is PlushCare. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weightloss. That's plushcare.com slash weightloss. One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's a it's a t-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at UH1.com. That's UH1.com. Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombas, we've always said our socks, underwear, and T-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself. And for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. 
Oh no, I might die. I have, I might die. I had to include that. I have two little helpers here as I record the introduction. Um, as You can still hear them. So, uh, yeah, sorry, I just had to include that. I thought their voices were so cute. I hope you all had a great week and are enjoying the sunshine. I am not a sun worshipper, so to avoid the sunshine and the heat, which has just been extraordinary, we I have had the blinds down for the past couple of days and the windows closed because I've had two kids who've had temperatures for the past 10 days between the two of them. So it's been um, a tough few days, but thankfully we've no temperatures as of yesterday. So I think they're on the mend um, and I'm trying to make the most of the next few days. Oliver's gone back to play school in two weeks and I feel like I haven't done much for the summer at all. I, I, this is the first time I've felt like the summer has been really short. And I think that's because he's in school now, in play school. Anyway, on to this week's episode. So I'm sharing my chat with Grania, who is the founder of River Skin Care. Grania talks me through her three pregnancies and two births. So her first pregnancy was a surprise and she shares all the details surrounding discovering she was pregnant. Um, and something that I thought was quite funny was actually when she said, she told her mother and her mother said, could you not have been more careful? careful? And I think we've all heard that um, with different scenarios in our life that our mothers have said to us. So she had an emergency C-section with her first birth experience um, and then she went on to have a partial molar pregnancy um, and missed had a missed miscarriage at about six weeks. So she shares all of the details surrounding that. This is actually the first time I've spoken to someone who's had um, a partial molar pregnancy. So that was really interesting to hear and obviously it's not something that anyone wants to go through. So um, tough as well, but uh, uh, Granny has a really strong intuition and I think uh, she highlighted it a couple of times throughout the story. She then went on to get pregnant again and she had to wait six months for her HCG levels to come down before she she could. So she uh, got pregnant for a third time and gave birth last uh, uh, April this year to her little boy Elliot. She didn't want a cesarean birth this time. She put a lot of preparation in um, but she did eventually give birth via cesarean section and she shares again all the, all the details surrounding that but felt it was a completely different experience to her first experience so she felt re- amazing going into those early postpartum days which is in complete contrast to how she felt the first time around so this is a really nice story although you know every every experience is just completely different and i think this story highlights that that even someone who has two vaginal births each like like my own, they're both very different um, in so many ways. So although Grania had two cesarean sections, they're both very different. And it's so nice to see her face. I actually saw her face change and when she was sharing her second birth story um, as she was talking about her experience. Her tone of voice changed. I just saw a smile growing on her face and it was just gorgeous to see. So thank you so much, Grania, for sharing your story. I really appreciate it. As I've said, I've linked her in the show notes. River Skin Care um, and she will be joining us when I do get the event finalised. She will be joining us at the event to chat about um, postnatal skin care as well as antenatal. So thank you again and I will chat to you all next week. Okay, so Grania, you are very welcome to the Ireland's Birth Stories podcast. Thank you so much for having me. It's, uh, it's amazing to be here after listening to a hundred and something episodes. It's mad, <laughs> a bit mad. Do you want to go ahead and just introduce yourself and tell us a little bit about you and your business as well, if you'd like? Oh, yeah. 
Yeah, absolutely. Um, so my name is uh, Grania Callahan. I am from um, a village called Raharney in County Westmeath and I'm the owner of River Skincare, which is an online skincare consultancy. Um, and I do like skincare training and stuff like that as well. Um, I'm engaged to Steve and I have two little boys. I have a two-year-old called Teddy and I have a three-month-old called Elliot. So just two years between them. They're both little little April babies. Three months. I can't. I can't believe that three months has flown. I'm sure it hasn't quite gone. It's gone quite as fast for you, but I just feel like that's flown by. <laughs> oh no, it has. It's absolutely flown. The last couple of years have flown because Teddy, uh, my first baby, was born in in the very first lockdown. So yeah, it's just been yeah, it's just been like a different since he was born. Just everything. Like I know being a mother makes everything different, but like the whole world is just a different place than it was before. So like yeah, it's been a mad couple of years. So talk to me about your first pregnancy. Uh, yeah, so my first pregnancy was not necessarily planned. Um, it was a, a lovely little surprise. Um, it didn't feel very lovely the day that I found out. Um, I was actually, I was actually in work. I found out by myself in McDonald's on Grafton Street. So it's definitely not um, the kind of romanticized idea that I had in my head of when I actually find out that I was pregnant. I thought it would be mm. this lovely moment, whatever. But no, I was in the toilet on my own in McDonald's. And um, I'd been in work and I just kind of felt weird. I just felt like funny or something. And I was like, oh, I was like, oh my God, I'm pregnant. And then I was like, no, I can't be. You know, you get the fear sometimes and you're not expecting it. You just like, you convince yourself that you are and then you never are, you know. Yeah. Um, but then and you spend your whole 20s, you know, trying to avoid it. I know, and, yeah. Uh, that's the fear of God into you then you know the Catholic guilt as well you know you're not married it's like oh no <laughs> what's mommy going to say but um so yeah I did a test in uh, McDonald's bathroom and I uh, texted my friend Anne-Marie and I was like you never guess what and she's like what and I was like oh, I'm actually pregnant I was like it's actually this is one of those times where it's actually happened Um, so yeah I went home from work early because obviously I was um a bit in shock I actually went back to Boots Boots on Grafton Street and told the woman who sold me the pregnancy test that I was pregnant because she had like said to me best of luck and I was like oh yeah thanks yeah like absolutely like scared out of my mind that it was going to be positive you know um it actually you know when you do the test first and it looks like it's negative for a second so I saw that it was negative and then I like turned around and like flushed the loo and like was getting my stuff together and I turned back around to look at the test to throw it away and then I saw that it was positive and I swear I nearly vomited I got such fright anyway um it was fine oh, sorry you know. did you have a late period or did you feel off or, or what made you take the test I just felt weird I just okay. got a feeling and I know that sounds mental but it was like I just I'm mean, like it happens like with uh, another kind of element of my story where I just got a feeling and like I don't know I wouldn't be big into like oh like I know female intuition is a big thing or whatever but I wouldn't it wouldn't be very kind of airy fairy or whatever but I just had a feeling that I was I didn't track my period so my period used to just turn up and I'd be like oh there you are roughly the same time as last month you know mm. I never really kept denying it you know but um yeah so that's I just had a feeling and did the test and told Steve and he was absolutely fine he's like oh yeah grand sure look at at this stage, we're old enough. We have we've had our crack, you know. We might as well kind of. We were talking about um, buying a, a house down the country, and we we were saving for a house, and like things were in motion, kind of going that direction anyway. So like it was totally fine. Um, I rang my mother then a couple of days later. I was like, yeah, you never guess what? And she goes, when are you do? Like, oh, stop! <laughs> I said, like, how? I said, like, how do you know? And she just goes, oh, 
how could you not be more careful? I was like, I'm in my 30s now. I actually don't know what age I was. I think I was 32. Yeah, I was 32. It's like 32, mommy. It's grand. She's like, oh, I suppose, I suppose. But um, yeah, it was a fairly um, okay pregnancy. Like I was working in a fairly high pressure job and I was working very long hours and there was a good bit of sickness there. But it was around the 12 week mark that I started to get pelvic girdle pain. And I know that's really early. It was very unusual. Um, I was later diagnosed with actually having a condition called osteitis pubis, which is like, it's quite unusual. It's quite rare. It's like an inflammation of your, of your pelvis. So um, I suffered with that throughout the pregnancy really, really badly. I was on crutches for a little while. Um, and then at the very end of the pregnancy, like it totally eased off. Um, but it was, it was so bad. It was so debilitating because you couldn't move. And I used to do a lot of events and a lot of talks and stuff in front of like large groups of people. And I'd have to limp up to the stage uh, and I used to yeah. find that so embarrassing I'd be like I'm so, I'm a young woman and I'm limping around you know like an owl one basically I was just like oh god I'm like hobbling around but um yeah that eased off and then it actually came back then after um the baby was born like a few months later it came back and I've actually had it ever since so I still have issues with it now and with the subsequent uh, pregnancies obviously it gets worse and and then it improves afterwards. So what did you do? Did you go to physio or or was physio offered to you? Because I suppose you couldn't really take norofen or anything like that to ease off the pain. Yeah, so the pain was uncomfortable, but it was never unbearable. So I never felt as though I had to like take a lot of pain medication. It was just more of a limp and my gait kind of changed as well, the way, the way that I walked in general. It wasn't a constant pain, so it would kind of come and go. So you'd have a couple of good days and um, where it wouldn't be. as It's the same now. You have a couple of good days, you could have a good week. And then it will come back and then you're kind of you're hobbling around a little bit. And um, I went to the doctor and, you know, when you're pregnant and if there's something wrong with you, you get dismissed by everybody because you're pregnant. So they feel, first of all, as though they can't treat you either. Well, they can't treat you because you're pregnant or they think, oh, it's just you're just pregnant if you go away. Mm-hmm. You know, this mm-hmm. sort of an attitude. And um, so it, I was diagnosed after my pregnancy uh, with the osteitis pubis so that the bones were actually inflamed I had an MRI um, and then I was advised by my GP that there's nobody in Ireland that actually specializes in it um, and that I should just try a physio or try an osteopath or try a, chiro- a chiropractor and like just off you go but I still I, I still have not found anybody in Ireland that specializes in it there's somebody in Australia like it's a little bit far you know to go for a bit of treatment <laughs> so I haven't been able to find anyone. So I go to an osteopath, a local osteopath, Xavier, um, and he's he's really good. But you only get relief for like a couple of weeks. But um, the cure for it is rest. So you're supposed to lie up for about three months. Um, but like not really possible. Um, <laughs> so mm. I just have to kind of rest when I can and just kind of take it easy. And I, I do a little bit of swimming and stuff, and that kind of helps. So I just kind of have to live with it now at this stage and just hope it goes away by itself. So how was the rest of your pregnancy then if it kind of eased off in the final trimester? Yeah, so the final trimester then it eased off. I went on maternity leave. Uh, Teddy was born on the 1st of April and I went on maternity leave at the start of March. And this was COVID March, I call it. Okay. So where everything, mm-hmm. where, the, where the shit hit the fan, basically. And I um, had the two, one of the, the two great, one of some, well, two of the greatest weeks of my life. Uh, the first two weeks of March where I knew I was going to have six months off the anticipation of having this baby I was getting like we lived in a, a this gorgeous apartment in Clontarf in Dublin 
and I was getting everything ready. I was clearing out every press. I was just in full on nesting mode, went to the cinema in the middle of the day, like talk about princess yeah. pregnancy. Like I was just having the best time. And then COVID happened. Um, and then I kind of spiraled a little bit when that happened because, you know, obviously the anticipation and the worry that's there um, having your first baby, especially because I didn't really prepare. So I didn't. I didn't educate myself on childbirth. I was of the mindset that I'll just rock up at the hospital when I'm in labor and they'll sort me out and I'm just going to do what I'm told and I'll leave it a baby and then I'll forget about it. Um, or I'll have a horror story, like all the horror stories that you get told. And then I'll just, ha- I'll just be one of those women with a horror story, but like my baby would be fine. That was just mm. kind of my attitude. It was just like go with the flow, you know. If I knew, if I knew then what I know now, you know. Um, but... It was grand anyway. I the Teddy's birth wasn't uh, obviously it was an emergency C-section. So what happened was I was um, going in for my forty-week check. So I was at home stressing about COVID, stressing about everything. I was googling restrictions. I was terrified that t- that Steve wouldn't be allowed in with me. That I'd have to do it on my own. Um, I knew that my family, like my sister and my mom, and my my other sister lives abroad, so I knew she wouldn't be able to come home to see it. So. I was really stressed out about all of this kind of COVID, COVID crap that was going on. And then I went in for my 40 week check and I chose to wait outside the back of the hospital because I didn't want to be in contact with anybody in the hospital. Because this is very early COVID days. Uh, I was wearing um, a mask and nobody else was. This was before yeah. mask wearing became mandatory in medical settings. So I was wearing a mask and I was trying to be really cautious. And so I waited outside the back of the hospital instead of inside. And I was eating a granola bar. And I must have been the nicest granola bar of all time because I was engrossed in it anyway. And I fell down three steps out the back um, and I landed on my front. Now, the bump didn't hit the ground or anything. It was fine. But I felt the baby kind of jerk forward when I fell. So I didn't panic because I was kind of like thinking to myself, if you're going to fall, this is probably the place to do it. Like there's lots of people here that can help you if anything is wrong. I was like, can't just keep yourself calm. I went back in and I sat down. I knew I was going to be called really soon because I've been waiting a while. I was called in and they did a check um, on me and there was an internal exam was done. And the lady said that uh, the doctor said that she could, the lady, (laughs) just some woman in the hospital just gave me an internal exam. The doctor um, said that they could feel the baby's head and that everything was looking okay and that maybe baby would come in a few days. They weren't like, I was only 40 plus two, I think, 40 plus one actually um so there was no major pressure being put on me or anything like that um and then I just kind of said this this is another time where I kind of got a feeling and I just said to I said to her I was like look I I don't feel right I was like I've just fallen out the back and she's like oh yeah you'd be all right there's plenty of cushion in there you're fine you know like the baby's okay and I was like yeah I was like I'm sure it is okay but I was like I just I just don't feel right just going home after that fall and after feeling the jerk because I did fall like it was three steps so I don't know like two and a half feet but like Mm. down onto my hands so I just didn't feel right going home and I knew I'd be worrying at home and I actually asked her I said can you put a trace on just to make sure that uh, the baby's okay and I didn't know if I was having a boy or a girl so I was like if he or she is okay and she was kind of reluctant about it she was a bit kind of like oh yeah go on sure I'll send you down or whatever and she sent me down and I'll never forget going into the the 
uh, the area where they take expectant mothers for for monitoring and they were all looking at me like I had 10 heads because I had this mask on me and they're like do you have symptoms do you have symptoms and I was like no I was like I'm trying to avoid having symptoms so it making me feel really kind of oh I don't know like a lunatic like I was some sort of crazy person with a mask on in the corner you know I mean nine months pregnant like trying to protect myself from my like little family or whatever um but anyway they put a trace on and everything was fine for a few minutes but then there were some um d cells in the baby's heart rate and the heart rate was dropping and then lots of people just kind of came running into the room and um the obstetrician came in and they were checking everything and I was like that's not good I was like because I could hear you know but you're looking at the monitor yourself yeah. you're kind of figuring stuff out and you can, you're not stupid like you can kind of figure out this, so that things are kind of going down or up or whatever um so I knew I knew that there had been a d-cell in the in the heart rate and uh, basically an obstetrician just came in and examined me and it was like it was brutal it was a brutal examination I'll never forget it it was just so painful so uncomfortable I was so worried and like it wasn't being explained to me what was happening it was one of those moments where like it's kind of like we'll talk to you in a minute we're kind of we're kind of doing something here we're kind of busy um so I started to get quite worried but I again I wasn't panicking I'd be fairly level-headed in like emergency situations most of the time anyway and she said look you're over 40 weeks we're going to induce you because we don't like that deceleration on the monitor um and of course um because of maybe my ignorance I was just like yeah yeah go on go on yeah no fine I didn't ask any questions anything like that um so I was brought upstairs to um I rang actually do you know what's mad I'd actually just text Steve and said I'll be leaving in five minutes um and then I had to text him 10 minutes later and be like this baby's going to be here in a few hours it, it, it was mad like and I remember asking I was like, could I go home and get my bags maybe and they were like eh no you can't just waltz out the door go home get your bags you have to stay here like this baby's going to come soon we're going to make sure of it you know they're a little bit worried or whatever and they love to induce people so um I was just one of those but anyway so um I went upstairs into they put me straight into um the labor suite um and then Steve was allowed in um because I was on my own in the room and uh they broke my waters um straight away before they gave me any syntocin is that what it's called syntocin isn't it yeah before they gave me any of that and uh, I was lying there um, for about five hours and things were very very slowly progressing Um, and then they started to progress really really fast and you know they say when you're induced your surges are much stronger that you feel a lot more pain like I I don't know any other I don't know any better so like I was just in so much pain and I was like oh my god this is cracked like I can't manage this at all and I just remember thinking, how? Because my mother has seven kids. I'm the youngest oh, wow. of seven, and she did it all naturally, obviously, because it was years ago. And well, she could have had an epidural when I was around, but I don't think she knew it existed. Do you know what that stage? She'd had seven, so or she'd had six by the time I came along. And I just remember thinking to myself, how did my mother do this seven times, like, and without any education at all or mm. any knowledge of, of of pain relief or anything? But anyway, so I got the epidural, and I had the epidural about seven minutes I'd say and the midwife that was with me so the, there had been a changeover um and the second midwife that I was with she she was quite disinterested in me she was just kind of sitting at her computer I was kind of I wasn't really a concern for her she didn't she never examined me which is fine in hindsight when I think back um she never examined me she just kind of left me there and if I asked for something she got it um which was, was absolutely fine like you know it suited me grand it was just kind of me and Steve you know um but she kind of panicked and she was look she was obviously reading my my vitals and looking at the baby's heart rate 
on her computer. Um, and then she came over and she started to frantically move the, the what do you call it, the thing, whatever you call it, on my tummy that was monitoring the baby's heart rate. She, she was frantically moving it around my tummy to try and find the heartbeat. Um, and she rang a bell behind her. And I just kind of knew that there was something up then. Um, and this midwife, they couldn't find the baby's heart rate. That's what they said. Like, we can't find the heart rate, a heartbeat. And I was just like, oh, my God. So they never said that it decelerated. They just said, we can't find it. So the second midwife said, the first midwife, she's like, have you rang them? And she says, yeah. And she goes, you better ring them again. And then all of a sudden, I can only describe it as all hell broke loose. It was just porters were running into the room. Oh, just everybody. Just there was must have been about 12 people in the room. Like, or maybe like in hindsight, it was probably less than that. But it felt like there was I was just crowded around by people. Steve was just kind of pushed over towards the window in a nice way. He wasn't like literally pushed. He was just asked to kind of step back, like we have to do something here. And I just remember this porter saying to me, he just said, You don't have to do anything. I'm going to drag you across. And he just grabbed the sheet that I was on and he just yanked me across. And they literally ran out the door of the room with me lying on the bed and I just remember looking at the midwife being like what is going on she's like you're having she's like you're having an emergency c-section we can't find the baby's heartbeat he has to come out right now and I was like oh my god I was like I'd literally just had my epidural I was just starting to kind of feel a little bit more in control of the situation I was just kind of getting my mind around to oh I'm going to be pushing a baby out and if you I was just kind of settling down after kind of the the fall and the worry and the induction and the, all that. So I just started to settle down and then this happened. So they literally, they ran down the hall with me. I didn't know what Steve was doing at this stage. Um, and I started to get quite, and like I said, a few minutes ago, I'd be quite um, level-headed in kind of emergency situations or like if somebody fell ill or like you could kind of rely on me to be the voice of reason. But like, I kind of, I kind of lost my marbles a little bit. And I just remember starting to kind of cry and just be like, like oh my god I was so panicked I was like what is happening what is happening the next like the most awful thing that happened was everyone was shouting looking for the anesthesiologist um, and they couldn't find him and Steve told me afterwards that he was outside the door and they were trying to put him into scrubs so that he could come in and um, but they weren't sure if they could do it on time but he said that the anesthesiologist was down the other end of the hall and the midwife that he was with was like shouting at him, being like, we're, we've been paging you or beeping you or ringing you. Like, where have you been? And he's like, I was with a patient. She was like, get up here now, like hurry up. And she, Steve said that he was down the other end and he was like fiddling around with him. Do you know those like yellow scrub things that they put on their front before they go into a different patient or whatever? He was just down the end of the hall fiddling with one of them. And he was like, he was in no way panicked whatsoever. So anyway, I remember him arriving into the room and there was a really nice nurse behind me. And he was just like, he looked at the anesthesiologist and he literally was like, where were you? And I was like, have you been waiting for him? I was like, what's going on? Like, I was like, what? And he goes, yes, we were waiting for him. He's like, close your eyes. And he just put a mask on. And then the next thing I know, I woke up in the recovery room. And under general? yeah, they had to put me under general then because they didn't have time, I suppose, to do anything else. It was literally just like knock her out straight away type job. Mm. Um, so they put me under general anyway. I woke up in the recovery room. Um, I woke up with a midwife was pulling my um, 
my sorry if I'm all, I'm quite good at my words usually I'm just like forgetting all words today and um, she was pulling my gown down and she was just putting the baby on my chest but I literally had just woken up mm. and the first thing I said was Are you like this is mental I was literally I looked at the baby and I was just like whose baby is that she was like it's your baby and I was like and I just kind of remember looking around and being a bit like but I'm pregnant. I don't have a baby. Do you know, it was just kind of, oh my God, like this is not. And as well, Teddy kind of looked different than I thought he would. And he had a really big dimple in his chin and he still does. He's the most sensational chin I've ever seen. But it's just, nobody in my family has this little dimple chin, do you know, this little bum chin. I was like, whose baby is this? I was like, what is going on? And then, because I didn't know the gender, because I've always had like this idea in my head, you know, like, is it a boy or is it a girl? Like that exciting moment, you know, when you find out. So I said, oh, is it a, is it a boy? And this, this nurse just went, of course it's a boy. And I was oh, like, Jesus. thank you. I was like, for ruining that uh, lovely moment. I've just been waiting like 30 odd years to have. I was like, I think she knew, she thought that I knew already or something. I don't know. I don't know why she answered me like that. But as well, now in fairness, Cora, I was under a lot of anesthetics. So maybe she didn't, even, she wasn't even that mean about it. That's just how I remember it. Um, but I had the baby on my chest anyway then. And I was kind of kind of reconciling myself to the fact that he'd been born and Steve was beside me then at that stage Steve had been holding him while um I was still asleep yeah and uh he'd been eating the blanket like he was a real hungry hungry little fellow when he was born um and then I was trying to kind of latch him on then straight away and stuff but sure I was out of my mind with shock and pain medication you know you wake up from a general anesthetic you're not really with it you know sure I didn't know what I was doing and then Steve had to leave so Steve was with me. He said he was with me for about five minutes after I woke up. But to me, it felt like about 30 seconds. It was just like, I was like, what do you mean you're leaving? I was like, where am I going? I was like, what? Like, I, I just couldn't. I was just so upset. And To get over or to wake up from a general is tough without yeah, the shock and without your baby being placed on your chest like that is a lot it just all sounds so heightened and intense and it doesn't feel like you had the person that you needed there who could kind of like just bring it all down for you uh just make it a little bit more manageable I don't know if that's the right word but you know just uh, maybe just comfort you a little bit more yeah I think it was like it was the speed of it all it was like Mm. I went in for an appointment and then suddenly I'm in this crazy emergency situation where everyone's screaming at each other and everyone's like really genuinely worried. Like it was just, oh, it was mad. Absolutely and mad. I was well. not expecting like, it. Yeah. The, yeah the whole, it just, it was just, just bedlam. Oh mm. my God, Cora, talk about like drama of a day. Like, oh my God. But I think Steve, honestly, the worst, the worst part of the whole thing was Steve leaving. I was like, mm. I cannot believe that they expect me to look after this baby now after everything that's just gone on. And I was kind of like, and the baby looks weird. You might not even be my baby. I was losing my marbles. I was like, that chin. I was like, nobody in my family has that chin. I was like, who's this kid? You know, um, but I got over it after a couple of hours or whatever. But uh that was it. That was about one o'clock in the morning. And I went back to the um the what do you call the place where you go after you've had the baby? The something ward. I don't know. Postnatal ward. Postnatal ward. Jesus. It's half eight. Oh my god. I went back to the postnatal ward anyway with Teddy and um 
I remember asking one of the one of the nurses came in and she was like, oh, there's Teddy. And she was helping me and they were great. And there was loads of student midwives and they were coming in and they were t- picking him up and handing him to me and all this sort of stuff. And they were just brilliant. But this this midwife came in and there was about six in the morning. He was born at one. And this midwife came in about six. She goes, oh, there's Teddy. And I looked and I was like, that's his name, isn't it? Yeah, it is Teddy. And she was like, yeah. She was like, well, his daddy gave us his name and we've put it down and la, la, la. And I was like, all right, I was just checking because we had decided on Teddy, but we'd never like been together and had the baby there and looked at each other and we're like, oh, his name is Teddy. Like we didn't even have that minute where we kind of confirmed his name, you know. So I was literally asking the midwife, like, yeah, so Steve said, yeah, okay. I was like, okay, we're good to go. It is Teddy then, you know. Um, But yeah, the midwives were brilliant and I was so obviously tired and like in shock and obviously sore and like there was a, a fairly substantial um blood loss and stuff like that as well. So I was very weak, but like like I said, the midwives were just brilliant. Um I wasn't very good at asking for help. So like at one stage I was using, you know, the way you have the 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 wire and the bell is on the end of it. Um and you're supposed to press it obviously to ring for them. But the cot had somehow been pushed away from me and, and Teddy was in the cot and I was trying to use it as like a lasso to try and catch because I couldn't get out of the bed so I was using the bell to try and catch the edge of the cot and pull it over and this midwife came in and she's just like that bell works a bit better if you ring it and I was like okay (laughs) I'll ring it I'll ring it from now on (laughs) sorry it's hard to swinging it over my head yeah it can be hard to like you're just like no no so someone else needs them more than I do when in fact you are that person that needs them yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. I that's literally what I was thinking. Um, but the ward that I was on was a 13 person ward and it was so loud. And I just remember not I didn't sleep for a couple of days because every time I would doze off, if my baby wasn't crying, one of 13 or 10 mm-hmm. or whatever other babies were was crying. And I just got to the point where after it was like the next morning, so it had been like 30 hours since he'd been born I just said to one of the women I was like I'm checking myself out today I was like I have to leave it's like if I don't sleep I'm going to kill somebody like I have to sleep even just for half an hour so they moved me into a smaller room so they were great they were so like they were really trying to kind of help you know um and they moved me into a smaller room then so that I could obviously get a bit of peace and then there was no one in the room everyone checked out so I basically had a private room for free so it was the best thing ever um but then day three came along and my milk came in on day three. And um, obviously the emotional kind of aspect of everything, like a lot of the, the the medications and stuff had worn off. And I was kind of getting back to normal or not get back to normal, but I was just kind of getting my wits about me again. And then like the milk came in and then I had to go home. And then I knew I was going to see Steve for the first time since I'd had the baby. And I was kind of upset about that, not upset about it, but I was emotional kind of thinking about being like, oh, here's your baby. I know he'd seen him already, but I just kind of was emotional about the whole going home thing. Um, And I just was so upset that day. This was day three and Steve hadn't, hadn't been back in. no. No, Steve, I hadn't seen Steve since he left the recovery room the night that Teddy was born. So seeing him again was kind of this big thing in my head. Mm. I don't know why I kind of worked it up. But um, I was just so upset thinking about everything that had happened. And I was just kind of, oh, just the blue, the baby blues and everything and COVID. And it was just like, it was an awful day. So bringing Teddy, the day I brought Teddy home, like, 
I look back on pictures of it and I'm like, look at him. He's so small and he's so cute. And look at Steve and look at us bringing him into our little home that we had made for him. And all that's lovely. But when I think back to actually how I felt that day, I remember just being like, why am I not happier? Like I'm supposed to be delighted. And I remember being really, really annoyed being like stupid COVID and stupid falling and stupid everything. I was really, really angry at everything. And I was just like, just like get me home and let me forget Mm. about this. But uh, I brought him home. Breastfeeding wasn't going very well. And there was no support available. And in fairness, that was more so because of COVID. Nobody could come out to the house to see you. And I couldn't see anyone. And I should have done a lactation consultation like over Zoom or something. But like I said, like COVID had kind of only just kind of kicked off so people weren't really set up yet and yeah and I wasn't really married to the idea of breastfeeding like my mom had never done it and my sisters had never done it and not that that should affect what I do but it did you know they were kind of like of the mindset oh I fed baby as long as you're feeding them like and as long as you know how much you're giving them it was always this kind of thing of how many ounces did he have and how many ounces mm. is he going to have and when's he going to get more and it was just this numbers thing so um I just kind of started bottle feeding him then and I used to latch him on the odd time and like I said he was a hungry little guy so I used to just like fill him full of bottles he was a big lump for baby then mm. you know um things were fine and we moved out of um our apartment in Dublin and we bought a house down in County Westmead, down in actually the village that I'm from. And we moved down there. And uh, yeah, everything was hunky-dory with baby number one. So how did you feel? Did you feel like you needed to um, maybe get like a debriefing or needed to really process everything that went on? Um, I I felt as though like I maybe brushed a lot of what I was feeling under the carpet and I just kind of like it was always kind of niggling at me that I wasn't like feeling 100%. I don't think I was at the level like I don't think I had PND or, or anything like that but I was just a bit sad for a little bit longer maybe than what would be deemed as hashtag or quotes normal you know. Um, I was just... I got my notes when I decided to get pregnant again um, and I went through them all and look, I remembered everything. Okay. Anyway, the notes didn't really give me anything else. I could have done with it. They offered me a debriefing the day I left okay. the hospital and I declined. I just I just wanted to get out of there and just try and forget about it um, and just try and get on with things, you know, and hopefully hopefully cheer up <laughs> that was what I, but I, and I did you know after a couple of months the odd thing would kind of trigger you to remember like how things went down or whatever but it was fine after a few months when I started especially thinking about having another baby it kind of um that really helped like lift my mood like it was like you nearly get a second chance to do it again and kind of mm. do it right <laughs> if there's a right and a wrong you know um but yeah so um Teddy was about 18 months old um, and we decided to um, uh, go again. I was hoping to, have, I'm not, sorry, he wasn't actually 18 months old. He was 18 months old when I got pregnant, but we decided when he was about nine months old to um, attempt to have another baby because we were kind of hoping to have them close together, you know, and kind of rear them up together. So the Christmas after he was born, um, we kind of said we'd just see like what happened, just kind of uh, not be careful, you know. And um, by the 2nd of January, um, I was pregnant. So I got pregnant 
um, basically immediately yeah. again. So that was great, you know. Uh, we were really, really happy. It was completely different, obviously, finding out I was pregnant that time. I wasn't on my own in a fast food restaurant, for one, mm-hmm. which is always a plus. Um, and uh, I was really happy about it this time. And uh, my mom didn't give out to me, so <laughs> it was good. Um, I, I was about uh, six weeks pregnant and... Um, I'm going to talk about these feelings that I have again, Cora. Um, you're like, this one is cracked. But I woke up one morning um, when I was six weeks and I just felt kind of, uh, I just felt a bit different. And I was just like, oh, God, I just thought to myself, the baby's dead. He's got, like, the baby's not alive anymore. I just had this awful feeling. Um, and I hadn't had a scan yet, obviously, because I was only um, six weeks. So I was Googling private scans in the area. And there's a really good, in Mullingar, actually, there's a really good lady who does Hi. private scans. Sorry, little noisy okay. baby here. And um, I sent them an email. And it said on their website that you can get a scan from six weeks. If you're six weeks pregnant, it's an internal scan. And if you're eight weeks pregnant, they'll do it um, on the outside of your tummy as opposed to a pelvic a pelvic scan. And so I booked in for two weeks time because I just didn't want to have a, an internal ultrasound. I was just like, I just... I just didn't feel like it after Teddy and after everything. I just was like, no, I'll just get one on the outside. I just wasn't too fond of the idea. And um, I went in at eight weeks um, and hopped up on the table and she put the um, the wand across my tummy and she just looked to me and was like, how many weeks are you? And I was like, eight plus three. And I looked at the screen and I knew there was, I knew I could see a, a, a fetus, but I knew there was no life there just by what I, I just knew by looking at it. I couldn't see anything flicker or move or anything. She goes, well, just look for a heartbeat. And she pressed a, a button on the ultrasound machine to see she could pick up the heartbeat and then it was just this deafening silence in the room and she just said uh, I said that's not an eight week fetus you're looking at she goes no it's six weeks so right around that time that like I woke up with one of my feelings <laughs> um would, would have been around the time I'm not saying it was that day but it would have been around that time that uh been around that time that the, the baby died so it's actually quite an unusual situation. So um, I didn't have, it was a missed miscarriage, obviously, because there was no bleeding or there was nothing like that. But I actually had what's called a partial molar pregnancy. Um, so a partial molar pregnancy is a really rare um, form of um, miscarriage where two sperm actually fertilize one egg. So the egg gets two sets of chromosomes from the dad. So it usually stops developing at around the six-week mark, and then you'll 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 miscarry then. Um, so it's really, really unusual. There's a, a molar pregnancy that you can get, which is where um one sperm um fertilizes the egg, but then just a growth grows. There's no there's no baby, but the partial molar that I had, there was like a little fetus. Um, but that was fine, but because I wasn't miscarrying um myself. I had to book in and have a DNC done. So I went in then the following week. So that was a Friday that I was in having the scan done. And then I had to go back in. And after you have a partial molar pregnancy, there's actually a risk involved with having a partial molar pregnancy that you can develop cancer in your womb um, due to the abnormal growth of cells. So they monitor you really, really closely. So I was referred to CUMH in Cork um, and they have a thromboblastic um 
um, monitoring section there. And um, so I had to go into the early pregnancy unit in Wollongar um, Hospital every Monday um, and get a blood test done. And I had to get that done every week until my HCG level dropped below five. Okay. Um, so usually if you have a miscarriage, you'll, you, you might get pregnant the following month or two months later. Um, you don't have to wait for your HCG, HCG, HCG to drop. Um, it can take like six months for your HCG to go completely down after you've been pregnant. So it took from, I found out that I was pregnant on the 2nd of January and I didn't get uh, under five results until June. So there was still HCG in my system until June. So I wasn't allowed to get pregnant again until that had gone down to uh, below five so that they could monitor if it rose again. So if it rose again, that would mean that there was an abnormal growth uh, within your womb. So it was really, they were really strict on that. They were really like, you just cannot get pregnant again. So after like having a miscarriage, like it's just the, the need to get pregnant again is mad. It just kind of takes over. You really just feel as though like that's what you have to do in order to kind of rectify the other side, not rectify it or forget about it, but just to you just want it. And then to be told that I wasn't allowed, I was really annoyed. I was like counting down every week. I'd get my blood test results and I'd be like praying and praying that it would be below five. But anyway. It was fine. It went down below five uh, in June. Um, and then I got pregnant again in July. Um, and that baby was uh, Sir Elliot, who was born just there in April. You, the baby you just saw a few minutes mm-hmm. ago. And with the partial molar pregnancy, could they see that on the scan or was that as a result of the DNC? Could they see how was that diagnosed? Uh, so as a result of the DNC, they sent the okay. the products of conception as they call them um, yeah. ought to be analyzed in the lab and that's how they find it so if you have a molar pregnancy they can see it on a scan because it looks uh, like lots of little cysts like a bunch of grapes but a partial molar because there is a fetal pole present and um, they can't tell just by looking at it okay um, yeah so it's mad yeah and then I didn't realize that it takes so long for your, your hcg to drop but I know even after my own miscarriage I would just I kept testing until I saw that negative test even though I I had miscarried yeah. you know the way I know some people have done that before and it's not until that you see that negative test that you really kind of come to terms with it or believe it I didn't realize yeah. it took it took so long so when you did um see that positive test with Elliot how did how did you feel um like I actually didn't think like I just remember being like, oh, no, it was so faint, you know, when you're an early tester mm. and it was so faint. And the last two times that I'd been pregnant, I'd had implantation bleeding. So even with Teddy, when, which wasn't planned, I had had implantation bleeding because when I found out I was pregnant with Teddy, I remember thinking, oh, I thought I was getting my period there. Then I did the maths in my head and realized what it was. And then with the partial molar pregnancy, I had implantation, but with Elliot, I didn't. So I actually thought that it hadn't worked and I thought that it was going to be negative. So then I saw that really, really faint line. I just remember taking pictures of it with my phone and putting like different filters on it to try and see if I could like see a darker line, you know, you know, you're chasing that line. Like yeah. then you get line eyes and you think you're seeing lines when there's no lines there. Oh, look at, but uh, no, I was delighted then. I was like, right, okay, this is, and I knew, and again, me and my feelings, Cora, I have a lot of feelings, but I just felt like, oh, this is fine. 
this one's going to be this one's going to be okay. I just kind of knew that it was going to be all right. I think female intuition is just amazing. Oh yeah, and I, we don't yeah. give ourselves enough credit for it. Like it's absolutely, it's wild. Like it's absolutely wild. But yeah, so. Um, I was kind of limping around that summer anyway mm. with the pelvic girdle pain and then I got pregnant and uh, so after about eight or nine weeks then the pelvic girdle pain got really bad um, and I started going to that osteopath that I mentioned um, and he yeah he gave me a little bit of relief and I was just kind of getting on with things I started my own business so river skincare that I mentioned at the start I started that when Teddy was six weeks old so or six months old and um, so all throughout my second pregnancy or my third pregnancy um I was just working away trying to kind of count down the days it was really I really couldn't wait for Elliot to be here I felt like I knew him already and I just kind of felt like he has to be here. He has to like join our little family. It was so weird because when I was pregnant with Teddy, I loved being pregnant so much that I nearly didn't want him to come. I was more like, look at me here, all pregnant. And I know, I think you've mentioned it before, how waiting for your baby at the end can be the hardest thing ever. And I'm like the complete opposite. I'm I, With Teddy, I was literally just like, whenever, like, give me another week of peace. It's no problem. I'll see you when I see you kind of thing. But with Elliot, it was totally different. I was just like, oh. <gasps> where is he when's he going to be here how yeah. many months am I now how many weeks how many days do you know but uh with uh Elliot's pregnancy I um decided to uh prepare myself so I decided to get a couple of books I decided to follow the correct and the right people on Instagram I just kind of made a few really good decisions on like educating myself and and um, put myself in the right frame of mind to hopefully have a vaginal birth the second time. So a VBAC was definitely something that I worked very, very hard um, to try and achieve. Um, I was doing hypnobirthing. I read um, Ina May Gaskin's book, um, which was like the best book I've ever read in my life. Oh my God, it just like totally opened my eyes, you know. Mm. Um, I had a consultation with uh, a lactation consultant and doula. Um, I wasn't going to hire a doula, um, but it was definitely, I just wanted to talk to one um, about VBAC and like get her advice on like the best ways to go about trying to have one you know um and yeah so I got some amazing advice I read some amazing books um I really tried to educate and prepare myself to have this vaginal birth that I didn't kind of get to have the first time um I felt very excited to go into labor um I loved your birth story where you spoke about how much you loved labor and that it was like you could just do it all the time and I was really hoping that like I I didn't think I could get to that level but I did think maybe it'll be this amazing experience and I really looked forward to like laboring at home before I went into hospital and the whole process you know so it was um it was totally different like like I said with Teddy I just rocked up to the hospital when I was told to and did what I was told and didn't ask any questions you know so the second time or third time I was pregnant, but the second time I had a baby, yeah, it was totally different. So nice to hear that you got that sense of excitement because obviously with experiences like your first one, then when you can come into your next, coming up to your next experience, with you can you can be fearful. Did you feel like you had to work at kind of shedding that little bit or parking that to allow the excitement to be at the forefront? Yeah, completely. Mm-hmm. And I think... The main thing I had to let go of was that I actually like I know best, not all of these 
like obviously I'm going to take my doctor's advice I'm going to listen mm. to to medical professionals I'm not going to be like hey, excuse me I know more than you do but sometimes I feel as though I did and I had to advocate for myself and um, I'm a fairly confident person and I, I really felt as though that was um that really went in my favor I think if I was a little bit more shy or quiet I, I wouldn't have been able to kind of fight for myself I met this amazing doctor in hospital actually and I was a public patient but I met him on I was like 28 weeks I think um and he was so supportive and he had the evidence and I asked him questions and I asked him why he was suggesting certain things and he had the answers for me and I felt really confident in his care and I just said to him I was like I I know I'm a private or a public patient I was like but could I just see you every time that I come and he was like absolutely he's like I'd love to see you he's like just Ah. make sure your appointments are on a Friday He was like and come on in he's like that'd be great he was like we'll get you your v back you know he was really supportive um and that made that made such a difference the only problem um, was I obviously had had a cesarean before um but I was diagnosed with gestational diabetes at 26 weeks and I was so raging because I had none of the risk factors and I only barely barely like was over the threshold um and so that was a bit of a spanner in the works because they do monitor you quite closely and they love to induce you you know when you've got gestational diabetes and then it was the big baby train that um, unfortunately I boarded around the 30 week mark. So like uh, both of my babies were big and like Steve's uh, a big tall man, you know, and I just happened to have slightly large babies like uh, Teddy was eight, eight and Elliot was nine, eight. So they're not giant. Like my sister had a couple of 10 pound babies vaginal without pain relief at home in her house in Holland. So um, but she, yeah, so like this big baby thing, but he was okay. My doctor was fine. He didn't kind of, he was like, look, if you control your bloods with your diet, he goes, I'm not too concerned about it because my BMI was fine and all that jazz. So at least he had a bit of a realistic look. Um, and then I went into labor naturally at um 39 plus six so um I couldn't believe it I was like spontaneous labor I thought that it would elude me you know I thought that I'd uh, go like way over and have to fight against like them trying to introduce me you know tell me what it felt like oh it was amazing I was like oh my god I'm actually in labor I was like this is wild because I had never been in labor with Teddy naturally you know I'd never had a twinge I'd never had anything I was just just induced you know um so on the Thursday night I started to have a few pains and I was saying to Steve oh there's something stirring but I was like it's nothing major look we'll 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 stay quiet and say nothing and hope for the best and see what happens you know um and then on Friday morning um I started to get a few more twinges and I was like no it's nothing nothing major and then I started to lose my mucus plug and contractions started to get a little bit stronger then on Friday evening so we I waited as long as I could and in hindsight I should have waited about six hours longer but um because it was my first time in labor I still even though I had done all this preparation I do feel as though I got a bit of a fright when I went into labor and I was a bit kind of like oh I need I need to be around people who can mind me if something bad happens so Mm. because something bad had happened before that 
kind of crept in once I went into labor myself that kind of came back um and then of course you know like Steve would be worrying about me as well he'd be like oh maybe we should go in to make sure everything's okay and I definitely think my first experience even though I spent a lot of time and energy trying to make sure it didn't affect my second experience like it totally did in in the end you know and so I went into I went into hospital and Steve came in with me uh, obviously and he brought me in and then he wasn't allowed to come down into the room where I was being examined so COVID unfortunately affected my second birth as well Um, he wasn't allowed to come down with me Um, I was examined down below um, in one of the rooms and came back outside to him we had a little chat and then they came out and told me that they had to admit me because I was a VBAC and I couldn't go home to labour at home I had to stay in the hospital um, and in hindsight, I should have maybe just been like, look, I'm going to go home for a couple of hours and come back. But I didn't. I was just a bit kind of scared. So um, I said I'd stay. But Steve couldn't come in with me because I was going into the pre-labor ward. I wasn't going into a delivery suite um, and it was 12 o'clock at night. So Steve wasn't allowed in. It was technically visiting hours only. Um, so he had to wait outside on the chairs about 12 feet away from the room that I was in. And I was just like, this is the most stupid thing ever. And everything totally slowed down then. Um, I was kind of managing through the pain and I was listening to hypnobirth. And I was on my own, but I was kind of trying to like maintain control of the situation. And um, everything just slowed down. And I wasn't allowed into the delivery suite until I either asked for an epidural or I was four centimeters dilated. Um, so I was only three um, when... I got there and I declined um, a couple more vaginal exams because they were just dishing them out willy nilly and I just didn't want to have loads of them. Um, Mm. So I declined them and they were like, well, we can't let you into the delivery suite unless we know that you're four centimetres dilated. So I was like, right, just give us an epidural then to let Steve in. So I asked for an epidural, Cora, literally just so that Steve could come in. So that I'd be allowed yeah. into the delivery suite. That's something that was like, just that bothered me so much about the whole thing was people having to have these exams to get the, the I, I just it was I, I, I was just I've heard so many stories even outside the podcast of women saying like they, they didn't it's something that they didn't want to have to undergo, but that they had no choice in order to get that room, even though that they knew their, themselves they were three plus dilated it's just one of the things about COVID that's just really awful yeah it doesn't make any sense it's just it's just pointless it's just needless like Steve like I said was 12 feet away from me Mm. just through a couple of doors I used to walk out and talk to him like it was just so 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 silly anyway I asked for the epidural and I went down into the delivery suite um and I met this midwife called Tracy and she was just this angel woman and Mm. she Oh, I think of her now. I just got like all warm and fuzzy. I'm just like, she was just such a wonderful person. And she was just so kind to me and so sweet and made me feel really confident. I was really confident in her and I was really confident in her knowledge. And she was just brilliant. It was just absolutely amazing. So um, the anesthesiologist came in and he administered the epidural. I was having, to be honest, the pain in my pelvis um, from lying on the bed and I was moving around as much as possible and I was on my side and I was on the ball and I was in and out of the bed and I was doing all that crack. But the pain in my pelvis and from the, the osteitis pubis 
was more intense than the the contraction pain or the surges and it was just out of this world so I I really I kind of got the epidural more for that to be Mm. honest than the actual labor pains themselves it was just it was intolerable and so the rest of my story um, trying to 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 get this elusive V back um, is basically just I labored um with an epidural they gave me some syntocin to try and speed things up um and then core it just got to a point where on sunday evening so this has gone on since friday morning and it was sunday evening and i was just i i gotten to the point where i just i couldn't i couldn't cope anymore and i couldn't manage my emotions and i couldn't manage the, i could still have i'm still so uncomfortable with my pelvis and stuff and once you get the epidural you know you're you're more stationary and i had the peanut ball and stuff but i just couldn't manage anymore and um, i started to feel really sick um and i started to get lots of pain in the top of my tummy kind of where the epidural wasn't taking effect um but it was more it felt like the most intense kind of indigestion or the most intense heartburn you've ever felt and i was just lying there and Steve said to me afterwards I was kind of rocking like I was just just beyond I'd gone into this other world even with the epidural I was so uncomfortable and so tired and it was just going on and on and on and um she asked me could she check me again so I consented that time because I just it had to end I, they literally they could have told me to dress up as a clown and jump out the window um and I would have done it like I would have done anything at that stage I was delirious you know the hypnobirthing went out the door and it was just a case it was just I was in survival mode I hadn't eaten anything um my blood sugar got really low so I had two polo mints like you're supposed to be pushing a baby out your mm. womb is a muscle you have to feed a muscle but all I had was two polo mints like it doesn't make any I should have been eating that was uh, the next time Cora next time um but um we have to have three births in Ireland in order to have the one you want um but uh yeah so it just got to a point where I just couldn't manage anymore and then they said that I hadn't I had failed to progress so I was going to have to have a c-section um I argued with them at that point I was like look I've come this far like can you not just leave me alone and just like leave me alone and just see what happens and they were just like no we can't you've been in labor for too long we're afraid of uterine rupture they he he shouted a couple of statistics at me and I was like let's go just give us the c-section and I just gave into it I was just like after like eight months of being kind of like addicted to getting having a v-back and being really dedicated to it I just very easily was just like you know what it's fine let's go and I just kind of gave into it and then tried to kind of get myself looking forward to meeting my baby again. Because, you know, you kind of forget when you're in that much pain and you're that uncomfortable. You forget what the end result is, you know. Yeah. Um, so then, yeah. Oh, totally. But I started to feel really hot and they took my temperature and I, I it spiked the temperature. And it was I swear it was just stress and uh, too muchness is the only way I can describe it. I was like, this is too much. I've had enough. Um, but that midwife Tracy she just uh, she brought me back to life she came over with like uh, cold J cloths and she like pat me down she was talking to me really softly she was just saying to me she's like you're going to have a c-section she was like they're going to do this you're going to do this because you're going I was obviously going to be awake this time I know I'd had one before but I was asleep sure so this was like my first one you know and um, she explained everything to me she's like and I'm going to stay with you Um, I'm going to go into the room with you she goes I'll grab the baby after he's born and I'll give him to you and she was like I've read your birth plan and I'm going to do everything that I can like to help you through this and then me and Steve were just like 
oh, mm. deadly. Right. She's coming. We can just kind of relax. And um, so they brought me up. It took, there was a bit of delay. There was a couple of hours of a delay. There was a couple of emergency situations. So uh, a couple more hours passed um, and she had to calm me down again a couple of times. <laughs> and then they brought me up um, and I had the C-section and I got to see him be lifted up so it was such a world away from the last time and I knew he was a boy I didn't get a scan to reveal his gender but I just knew that he was this time um and I just said to Steve is it a boy and Steve was like yep it's a boy so this time I got to find out in a nice way um Mm. as opposed to the last time um and then they popped him on my chest then straight away so it was a it was like a completely different experience it was really really good the only problem was I was so because uh, I had been awake for a couple of days and they could tell by me I was a bit uh all over the shop and a little bit exhausted they did separate me from Elliot after he was born they took me to a recovery room and they sent Steve off with Elliot so that kind of upset me because I was asking where he was and I was asking why we were being separated and they were like you need to rest for a few minutes and I was like he's hungry I like he's going to be like Teddy you know he's going to need to be fed like immediately I had expressed colostrum but I'd only a tiny amount it wasn't really working for me the whole expression of colostrum I only had two two mils all all together and I've been doing it for three weeks you know I really tried like to get some firm but I couldn't I just couldn't get enough um so yeah so they did separate us for a while and I I just remember giving out fairly hardcore I was like you need to get me out of this recovery room bring me down to my baby like I was going a bit mad but they brought me down and they gave me Elliot and yeah everything was fine it was grand and like I got this lovely sense of happiness when I saw him and he was so soft and he looked identical to Teddy it was just like I'd given birth to the same baby again it was so weird that chin what do you know what that's the only thing he didn't have was the chin <laughs> he had this everything else was the exact same but it was just the chin you know it was so funny we were like is he going to have this chin you know the chin that nearly tipped me over the edge <laughs> um, but um, it's uh yeah it was just like you can even see me now like how much I'm smiling just talking yes, about it. It was I was going to comment such... your face has just completely changed <gasps> and like on every minute since he's been born like they, when they lifted him up, I just remember getting this like little flutter in my chest and just being like, oh, my God, this is what it was supposed to be like the first time, even though it was a C-section and even though it didn't like work out the way I'd wanted it to. He was still there and he was lovely. And I was so delighted. Like and any like I call it the dark mist, any of the like negative feelings that I had had about my last birth just like lifted and everything just it's completely different. And I've just been walking around in this happy little bubble ever since. And he's nearly four months old now. And I even I feel like I even love Teddy more now since Elliot's come along because you just see how Teddy interacts with him. And it's just, yeah, it's just completely different. It's great. It's deadly. Having the second one was a great idea. And you were just feeding Elliot there. So you're still breastfeeding. How's it going? Grant, I am combination feeding and I have been doing so since he was born. And I have tried so many times to exclusively breastfeed and it's never, never worked for me. And so Elliot has one bottle of formula every day. And I kind of just reconciled myself to the fact that that's just our way and that's just Mm -hmm. our journey. And I'm okay with it now. I wasn't okay with it for for a good while you know like uh, I was like well, I can't I, I do have low a low low supply and I have one very lazy side um so does mine uh, Eva <laughs> Eva hasn't fed off my left boob for uh, like well over a year oh, no only, way 
<laughs> she only feeds off my right yeah so oh I God. understand well, I'm, the, I'm the opposite yeah but I have this tiny little amount on my right um I just kind of use it as the backup you know or as yeah, a soother yeah. you know um but uh yeah so it's going great it's going obviously much better than the first time it's not perfect but look at it's our it's our little mm. way of doing it and uh yeah we're one happy little family on our holidays day here now today and we're all yeah everything's just great brilliant thank you granny that was cool and uh, yeah I, before just as you mentioned there that you just smile so much when I'm talking about it you could just see you just lit up a huge smile just yeah. after you start talking about it. it's just it's really nice yeah to see yeah. that you had that you got yeah, that feeling it's totally different yeah but it's great and everything's worked out and uh yeah so we're delighted with the two and we, we talk about having a third and I'm already like nearly upset thinking about the third one being my last one I'm nearly upset in advance you know it's it's an yeah. awful feeling but uh yeah, we've been very lucky that we have the two very healthy boys and uh, yeah, everything's great. And I can hear uh, the youngest one screaming. So <laughs> go on, go, go, go. Elliot wanted his mum, so that was the end of our chat. Um, but I hope you enjoyed it. I thought it was a really nice conversation, really nice to hear how she felt um, in those early days in comparison to her first experience so if you would like to share your story you're more than welcome to you can get in touch over on the website irelandsbirthstories.ie click on the share your stories tab and I'll get back to you as soon as possible if I have if you've previously sent a submission and I haven't got back to you give me a nudge and remind me um, I'm not ignoring you I'm just a little bit behind on my emails as always and if I could ask you a favour if you have the time to pop on to wherever you listen, listen to your podcasts um leave a rating or a review if you are enjoying the podcast it goes such a long way enjoy the rest of the sun and i will chat to you next week with a brand new episode What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinarian developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. 
Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.